You gotta, uh, you gotta roll. You know why? Why is that there? Why? Why is that there? Well, the ancient rabbis who who put the portions together for an organized reading wanted to get your attention today. Today, okay. The Bible is um, a very intricate book. Very intricate. It's full of wonders that paints one picture, and parts of it are, are so complicated. Pictures painted, you say, men could not have put that together. That has to be God. And yet some of it is so simple, the little, the little children can say, I see that. I see that. It's one picture, one plan of redemption. Now, the writers that wrote, what we're talking about today, wrote about a thousand years apart. But they're writing about some of the same stuff. And we connect the dots of history and of prophecy, and we get a picture. And, and we had some um, uh, some nice prayer this morning where when people were saying things, it was like, what I'm going to say. Like, well, how did you know that? You didn't know that. And some of it is that one of the prayers was, Lord, it'd be nice if you could just give us a glimpse of what's going on behind the scenes, you know. Because things don't look so good where we live right now and on the news and right around the world. Well, what's going on behind the scenes? Well, the Torah portion today... And one more section I may look at. Every now and then, it's unusual, God says, okay, I'll show you behind the scenes. And I'll show you, I mean, God says something. How many times is there something in Torah where God said this? And you look at that and you go, why did he say that? And nobody knows. But there is a reason. But Because today I'll show you the reason for one that doesn't sound like he should have said this. But then when we find out the whole story, we go, Oh, now I know why he said that. And we need to do what he says, because if we don't do what he says, we're in really big trouble. Right. His preference is that we trust him and his word and do what he tells us without his having to explain to us why he's telling us to do it. But sometimes through his love and grace, he does give us the explanation, which gives us, I think, the, the, um, uh, uh, the deeper faith to do the rest of the stuff, because there's, there's always a reason. Okay, turn, that little passage was Deuteronomy 25. Go ahead and turn there. Well, well, I, I, I can just tell you the paraphrase. When the children of Israel were, were coming around from the south and growing up through Edom and Moab and about to cross the, the Jordan River, uh, the Amalekites, okay, in history these are fierce, fierce warriors. Now, is Israel uh, an army? Are they fierce warriors? They, 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 they come out of slavery. These are slaves. Okay, they do other things, but they're not soldiers. And so rather than fight army against army, what, what the Amalekites did was they came up from behind and started picking off the sick people, the women, the children, the old people. In other words, they didn't fight fair, army to army. God took note of that. And in this passage, just before they entered the Promised Land, that's when Moses writes Deuteronomy, and God says, by the way, okay, now Moses is going to be gone, but Joshua is going to be in command. Here's what I want you to do. And, that, and we get something that makes people uncomfortable. He said, what I want you to do when you're all settled is you're going to attack the Amalekites and blot them off the face of the earth. So there's nothing left of them at all. Nothing. Totally gone. And you go... And I go, that's not fair. Is that a loving... People are going to ask you, that's a loving God that would do that? Just wait. You'll see. 
to do that? Even the animals. The animals. You pet lovers? Wait a minute. Why couldn't... So, okay, go ahead and turn there because there's a verse I want to show you. Deuteronomy 25. Verse 17, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, up out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers in your rear, and you were tired and weary. And he did not fear God. He didn't fight fair. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest, when you're in the land, when you're all settled, rest from your enemies all around, in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance, that okay, then what you're going to do is take care of business. People don't like this. That you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And it, it, we, we saw the reading in 1 Samuel by the prophet Samuel when there were no, no evidence that they were ever here. And just to make sure you get the point, people get uncomfortable with this one. That last line, God said, you shall not forget. Now, can you imagine, I would like to forget. Say, let's give him a second chance. Maybe the next generation will be okay. God said, you shall not forget. Well, well, guess what? Israel forgot. They didn't do it. Now, there's a principle here, and it's all through Scripture. And it's happening as we speak today. God sometimes uses Israel to judge other nations. There's some good books out on the nations in prophecy. Sometimes God uses Israel to judge another nation. And the really bad news is that sometimes God uses the other nations to judge Israel. The Babylonian captivity. Why did that happen? Because of Israel's disobedience. It was punishment. But, but they were cured. They never worship idols again. So God says, whatever it takes. It's, it's easier if you do it the first time, right? But if you, if you want to wait till the consequences come, then it's a long road back. It's 70 years of, of captivity and so on. So when we look at this, God uses nations as instruments of judgment. Remember what they did to you. You have to kill their family tree so they don't reproduce. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? People who don't like us get these kind of verses and use them. That's why it's important for you to know how to, how to, how to answer them. Okay? They did forget. I mean, it was harsh. It was tough. Okay? Now, how many of you know the future? Yeah, right. God knows the future. That's why he says stuff. To do stuff. Because he knows the future. You think you know the future. I turn on the weather channel in the morning and I think I know the weather for the day. Those guys lie every day. You can't, you can't, and they get paid for it. I want, I want that job. It's a very strong commandment. God knows the future. We are to trust him for what he says. But we're not to do things he doesn't say. You don't falsely represent God by saying, we're an instrument, uh, some more of our leaders have done this in time past, we're an instrument of God's judgment upon you. Don't say that unless it's true. And so far, I don't know of any but maybe a handful of our congressmen that are actually listening to God. So if they say stuff like that, I'm really doubtful, except for a few. 
But nonetheless, the point is you listen to what God says and you do what God says. You don't presume anything and act on your own. Uh, we were in Israel for the first Gulf War. Lots of stories about that. <clears throat> By the way, it ended on Purim. It ended on Purim. See, God goes by his calendar. He doesn't go by our calendar. And I'm not, I, I, so I was watching the Israeli TV, not, not the U.S. TV, and what all was going on in the preparations. But it doesn't matter if you like the first George Bush or not. And by the way, it's illegal for us to endorse a candidate openly. Okay, we can endorse uh, policies and uh, stuff like that and issues, but we can't openly endorse a candidate. So I'm not endorsing it. I'm only saying a historical fact. Okay, he spent hours and hours and days in prayer before making the decision to bomb Iraq. And then he was still reluctant. But he went to the Lord and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. I hope all of our leaders do that. That there's never an impulsive thing. People are going to die with their decision. And if you don't make it, other people are going to die. So what are you going to do? Well, you have to make the right one. So you do, you do it in prayer. And sometimes it can be tough when it comes to these things of judgment. All right. Now let's go to the Haftorah portion that Mouse read for us today. 1 Samuel 15. Very enlightening section. Now we're into the kings of Israel. Saul, the first king. <clears throat> Okay, it started at verse 2, but I'm going to go back to verse 1. Samuel, also, he had anointed Saul to be king. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now this is Samuel speaking. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. That's what Samuel kept saying. And that's not what Saul kept doing. Saul kept doing what he wanted. He did not do what God said. And he will reap what he sows. And it's more than you think. So, uh, Miles, how far did you get in this today? Oh, did you get down to verse 7, 8? Okay. What, what, what Samuel is saying is you have to... Now, you, Joshua didn't do it, so now you have to do it. You have to go ahead and wipe out the Amalekites. So, as the first king of Israel, you are a tool of God's judgment to wipe them out because of what they did to the chosen people. So Saul attacked them and did not do what he was told by Samuel. Verse 8, uh, verse 7. Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. What, what was the instruction? All of them. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul... And the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and oxen. What did God say to do? All of them. And he, he saved all that was good. What's wrong with this picture? This is like self-serving. And they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. They were unwilling to do what God said. What are the consequences? But all the stuff that was worthless, he destroyed. Big deal. Okay, real, real sacrifice, right? Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, <laughs> you, don't want to hear the, you don't want to hear God say this about you. 
I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, or wherever he's placed you. You don't want God to say, I regret that, for he has turned back from following me. I want you to hear the lessons in this. Saul turned back from following the Lord. There's consequences if you do that. And he has not performed my commandments. I don't know what level of Torah observance you might be. It doesn't matter. That verse right there says it all. Saul refused to obey the Lord's commandments. And he's in big trouble. It's a willful act of disobedience. I will not do what the Lord commanded. And we have people that are kind of like that, right? So Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul. He was told Samuel, saying, um, Saul went to Mount Carmel. And indeed, he set up a monument for himself. Wait a minute. Now he's got a big trophy thing of, of what he, how good he is. A little bit of pride stuff going on here. Verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. Oh, don't people say the right words sometimes. On TV and radio and other places. They say the right words. But they don't mean it. They don't mean it. You can't trick God. I'm looking for my place. Oh, what what verse? Who who am I, by the way? Okay, 13. Blessed are you who have the Lord. And then Saul lies. He says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Don't misrepresent God and say you did something for him that you didn't do. That is a big sin. Be honest. Say I didn't do it. Okay, if you say, well, I, I, I made this promise to the Lord and I did it, don't do that. See, he's digging, the, he's digging his hole deep here. And Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, oh, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Not me. I'm just the king. But those guys, you know, my subjects, they brought all those. You know, can you hear all the noise in the background? It'd be a great movie scene, right? Um, <clears throat> they have brought them from the Amalekites. And here's the reason. It's for the people. They spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to make these sacrifices to the Lord. We're going to give them the very best. But that's not what God said. And the rest, you know, the, the stuff that wasn't any good, we destroyed. This next verse, here's where you're going to learn something. Verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. The word be quiet is shut up. It's shut up. He's mad. He's mad. Okay, so what did the Lord tell you last night? Now the Lord sent you on a mission. He gave Saul a mission. Go and utterly destroy these sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. That was Do that. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? It was clear. He heard it. He chose not to do it. Why did you swoop down on the spoil? In other words, you got, you, you got financial gain from this. You weren't supposed to. And you did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel... But I have observed, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Bold-faced lie to a prophet and to God. Really in big trouble now. Don't lie to God. Ananias and Sapphira tried that. That was the end, right there. Okay, do not lie before God. Samuel is getting really upset now. 
But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission. I did it. In which the Lord sent me. And guess what? I brought back Agag, king of the Amalekites. You weren't supposed to do that. But the people, you know, these people, they took the plunder. And they took the sheep. And they took the best of everything. It's their fault, not my fault. Don't pass the buck. He's the king. He's the king. Samuel then said, Has the Lord as great has the Lord as great de- delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? This is really important. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. These were false sacrifices, not under the commandment of the Lord. God wants your obedience, even if it's hard. Your obedience, not the logic. The logic is, we'll save the best for him and sacrifice them. No, you're, you see, the sacrifice wasn't somebody else's. They're yours. It wasn't a sacrifice for him. You missed the point of a sacrifice. And look at this. For rebellion, he's pointing at him, I think, is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion. He's in rebellion. The, the name of the sin is named. You are in rebellion against God, and it's the same as the sin of witchcraft. What's the last thing Saul does before he dies? He goes to a witch. The witch at Endor. Interesting, isn't it? How It's not just a figure of speech. It leads you to witchcraft. I don't know how it all works, but he did. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, I don't want to ever hear these words, neither do you, God has rejected you from being king. Well, he had it made. He started off with a big bang. He had it made. All he had to do was obey. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord. And your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Well, that's true. I've got to tell you, you have a lot more to fear from God than from people. God has the last word. Your friends are probably not going to be where you're standing for your judgment. Just give us some input, okay? That's probably not going to happen. But uh, the Lord will have the last word. And he has all facts. And guess what? He never makes a mistake. And you can't do what Saul's doing and try to worm out of this. God has all the correct information. Hmm. Then he pleads, Will you please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord? Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, this is really amazing. Saul sees the edge of his robe, and it tore. What's he, what's he tearing? His seat seat. What a picture. That's the seat seat. These. The seat seat. Symbolic. See, the seat seat say, I observe the commandments of the Lord. And he didn't, but he wore them. And he grabs Samuel's, and Samuel's rips. Samuel's rips. You don't want to rip Samuel's seed seal, okay? Trust me. 
Then Solomon, verse 30. Verse 30, he says again, I have sinned. Yet honor me before the people. He wants honor. Before the elders of my people, honor me. Return with me. Make it look like we're, we're together, we're one. That I may worship the Lord. He had a chance to worship the Lord. So Samuel turned back after Saul. And Saul worshiped the Lord. And Samuel said, bring Agag. You know, the one you should have killed. So they brought Agag. And Samuel killed him. What the king was directed to do, Samuel did. Samuel did. So, in public, the king, because of his sin and rebellion, is it's being announced by the prophet of God that nobody doubts that he is not any longer anointed by God. In fact, later in the next chapter, it says the spirit left him. You don't want that to happen either. So to make the story complete, the next chapter starts, chapter 16. Now, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? I rejected him from being, from, from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, to Bethlehem. For there I have provided myself a king among his sons. This has got to be the most unlikely place to find a king. Bethlehem is a, is a little teeny village and a few families and they're shepherds. Okay, they're shepherds. So he goes to Jesse's house. They say, verse 5, you're coming. Oh, here's the comparison back and forth. Verse 4. So Samuel did what the Lord said. All through you see the comparison. Samuel always does what the Lord says. Saul never does what the Lord says. Which side do you want to be on? Okay. Samuel always did what the Lord said. He was a really great guy. So he goes to Bethlehem. And they said, are you coming peaceably? We heard what happened to Agag. Are we okay? Yeah, you're okay. So then he goes to to Jesse's house. And he says, we're going to make a sacrifice. But first we're going to do some selection here. And so he says, bring out your sons. Start bringing them out. You know, Verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, when these sons started appearing, Do not look at their outward appearance or at their physical stature, because I have refused them. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, David wasn't even going to be considered to be king. because He was the youngest, the most insignificant, and like, there's no way. What was God seeing? This is, compare this to the previous chapter, the two kings. Do not look at his outward appearance, right, his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. You got that? For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at your future heart, not David's heart right then. But it will be. The psalmist. The one who would write that beautiful worship music for us that he hasn't done yet. God says, I see what he's going to do. He sees what you're going to do, by the way. If you look in the mirror and you see what you are, God doesn't see that. He sees what you're going to be 
what he can make of you if you're obedient to him. So they kept coming, and Sam keeps saying, the Lord has not chosen these. Are these all you have? Well, there's one more. He's a little guy, and he's out with the sheep. Go get him. They brought him in. <laughs> he's probably dirty. And the Lord said, that's him. Anoint this one. And when he was anointed, the next verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. In the next verse, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. You see, you want to be Spirit-led in all you do and all your decisions. And Saul is the example, when the Spirit is taken away, you're really in big trouble. Big trouble. But David is the example, that the one that nobody would have picked, when the Spirit of God falls upon him, he soon becomes a giant killer, a musician in the king's palace, a writer of scripture, a prophet, and the best king Israel ever had. Because a few pages earlier, when they're inquiring about this, uh, Samuel says, God has reserved for himself a man after his own heart. That's describing David. A man after his own heart. Now, that, what that means is that David knew the heart of God. When he's out watching sheep in the, in the fields of Bethlehem, what are you going to do out there all day? He took his harp, and he's playing music. Is that a waste of time? Oh, no. He's, he's, he's writing worship songs that glorify, that, that glorify God. When you enter into worship, you enter into his presence. That's the person God's, God wants to lead the nation the person who knows how to worship. It was not how David watched the sheep. No, it was how he worshipped. God looked at the heart. But then he changed the rest to be, he, he became a giant killer and a, and a leader of an army. Saul would live a few more years. But isn't it interesting when he dies, it's an Amalekite that kills him. An Amalekite kills him. Well, if we go back to Joshua's time, if they were obedient, none of that would have happened, would it? We're looking at things that happened because they weren't obedient. The consequences go way past Saul. If only he obeyed. So now let's jump ahead 600 years. What in the world does this have to do with Purim anyway? We'll turn to Esther chapter 1. And you can read this book every day, right? Right. 600 years later in Persia. The Persians, there's the largest empire of all time, conquered the Babylonians. And there was a guy named Haman. Yeah. A guy named Haman, who was an Amalekite. He's referred to as the enemy of the Jews. He was in a position of authority to impose genocide. And he made the decision to do that. He not only plotted to kill Mordecai, but to kill all Jews. As you read the book, you'll see. In Esther chapter 3, at verses 5 and 6, his plan was to destroy all Jews. This is Satan's plan. In chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, it says, Haman, the Agagite. Wait a minute, didn't Saul kill Agag? Oh yeah, but he had offspring. He had kids. 
All right. Now, so all of a sudden, now we're dealing with a line of Agag, who's an Amalekite, that if Saul had had taken care of business, if Joshua, you know, see where the dominoes are falling, and now they're coming. There's a person in position to write a decree to kill all Jews because the first disobedience happened. It would have never been had he followed. Verse three, chapter three, verse one. Haman, the Agagite. He's being referred to as, you know, a descendant of Agag. Now, Agag, Josephus writes about this. Here's where we get our info. That he, Josephus writes that the, the word Agagite is a synonym for an Amalekite king. An Amalekite king. So Agag is an Amalekite king. So would, Haman would have been an Amalekite king, serving in the court of the emperor of Persia. Agag is a title for Amalekite kings, similar to Pharaoh being a title of Egyptian kings. Pharaoh's all the other names as well. God had a plan and a purpose for redemption. Cover to cover in Scripture. Satan has a plan to derail God's plan. Cover to cover in Scripture. His plan is open. He's doing the same thing over and over again. It gets better. He does the same thing with the same people in the same places over and over again. Satan's plan is to disrupt the bloodline of the Messiah. To keep, if, if, if in the book of Esther all Jews were killed, the Messiah would never be born. He's stopping the bloodline. When Herod wanted to kill the babies in Bethlehem, okay, we're, we're wiping out the, this bloodline, and so on, okay, to, to disrupt it. Secondly, Satan wants to discredit God's word, because God made all these promises, they're called prophecies. And if he can make it not happen, then he, he can say, God can't even keep his word. And the big thing is, if he can't keep his word to Israel, he can't keep it to anybody. And so Satan is trying to show that God won't, can't or won't keep his word. Discredit God's word, including the prophecy. Because in the end of times, there must, there must be Jews to fulfill end times prophecy. There has to be Jews. And there must be an Israel... In the land of promise, it has to exist. So Satan's big target is Israel and Jews. Welcome to a Messianic congregation. And Yeshua talked about the new covenant at, at his last Seder. That's Jeremiah 31, what he's talking about. A part of the new covenant was the declaration that Jews will always exist. They, will, they have to exist. For God's word to be credible. And he brings it up at the last Seder. Satan keeps trying openly using the same players. What do you mean the same players? The Persian Empire. Who is that today? That's Iran today. Are you reading what those guys are saying? It's right out of the book of Esther. What Haman said they're saying. Where do they get the strip? It's satanic in nature. It's why it's the same. It's the same exact thing. Iran is calling for the annihilation of Israel and of all Jews everywhere. Now, Yeshua died on the day of Passover. Okay? Uh, he was raised on the day of first fruits. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Shavuot. Okay, God's calendar, He gave it not just the first half of nice year, but things happen on the days He, he gives us. Okay? Things, things happened at Purim. First Gulf War ended at Purim. Stalin, uh, in 1952, made a decree to kill all Jews in Russia. And he died. Right on the spot. 
and that never happened. Why did I bring that up? Guess what? Purim is this week. Purim is this week. Wednesday evening, our time, it's Purim in Israel. What's happening Monday? Benjamin Netanyahu is meeting with our president. What's happening right now in Iran? The elections. Same players. In the next couple of days, whoever wins this election, the announcement will be made, we are going to destroy all Jews. Did you hear the topic of conversation with, with Netanyahu and Obama? Well, Israel is going to strike Iran without the U.S.'s permission. How can they do that without our permission? What would you do? Okay, yeah. Okay, look, here's the deal. Let's be honorable about this. You and me. Okay, and you're a volunteer. Kiki, you're, I saw that sort of thing. Okay, if you say something to me, let's just, let's, I will assume that you're a woman of your word. And you mean, if you say it, you mean it. Your word is truth. If you say, I'm going to kill you, I believe it. That's what's happening in Israel. These people that, that have the means to do it are saying, we're going to do it. What should Israel do? Wait until a nuclear bomb is, is set off in Haifa? What would you do? What would you do? They have no choice. Because it's not that they would lose a city. Okay, they would lose their country. They're little. They're little. So, I'm not a prophet, as you all know. But this week could be a prophetic week, historically, with Iran and with Israel and with the United States, and with Israel ending Iran's chance of getting a nuclear bomb. And the world will come against Israel, including us, probably. We'll condemn you. You shouldn't do that. What, what should we do? What should we do? Same players, because it's the same thing. We're going to kill all Jews. All Jews. <clears throat> Three times, Scripture says this. It's a warning. We open the service with this one. Zechariah chapter 2. He who touches Israel touches the apple of his eye. I feel sorry for Iran. And I'd like you to pray. Because as much as we dislike some of its leaders, some of the news stations were on the streets this week interviewing the people, and they're just regular people. They're just regular people. And they don't have the choices that we do. And they will suffer the consequences of their leaders. Just like as we talk at the Passover Seder, a pharaoh made decisions not to let God's people go, and the other people suffered the consequences. Their cattle died, they got boils, so on and so forth. We suffer consequences of bad choices from our leaders. Pray for your leaders. I think this week could be a very prophetic week, biblically and historically. I don't know that for sure. Okay, what I'm thinking, Purim is here. Netanyahu is here. He'll be home for Purim. God does stuff on his calendar. So pray more than usual for Israel this week that they do the right thing, that they hear from the Lord. And we're to pray for their safety and survival. Now let's jump back into the Torah portion as we conclude. Because all this stuff about Esther and the raising up of the orphan girl to be the queen and 
all this favor of, of the Jewish girl and all this kind of stuff brings up other things. You mean, you mean God has chosen a people? Yes. They're better than us? No. But they have a specific purpose. And his purpose, and they're a key part in his plan and purpose. So how does God feel about that? Doesn't he feel the same about everybody? It's going to make some of you uncomfortable. Here I go again. We, the first time we did it about killing all the animals, right? In the Torah portion today, you have the articles being constructed that go into the tabernacle and the temple. All, all are prophetic pictures of what Yeshua would do, by the way. The uh, lampstand, I'm the light of the world. The table of showbread, I'm the bread. Each one of those things speaks of something that Yeshua would do. Every single one. Well, we get to Aaron, the high priest. Book of Hebrews, many verses talk about Yeshua as our great high priest. This was a picture of Yeshua, Aaron. Okay? So, listen to this. Turn to chapter 28, Exodus 28. We'll end in a couple of minutes. Actually, 27. He's giving instructions. The instructions have to do with the breastplate. You know, we have, a, we have a plate that looks something like that on our Torah. Aaron wore a breastplate. What did it look like? It had 12 precious stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 precious stones of great value. Okay? Look at what God says. Look at the picture in the days of Moses. Verse 9 in chapter 27. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, six on the other stone, in order of their birth. And when the engraver, uh, with the work of an engraver, the stone like the engravings of a signet, you shall engrave the two stones and the names of the sons of Israel. You shall set them in settings of gold. By the way, as this is described, it's of huge value. You shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Now listen to this verse. Aaron is a, is a portrayal of Yeshua as our great high priest. Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. Beside the breastplate, there were two things he bore on his shoulders that were the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. What did Yeshua bear on his shoulders? In three times it says this. Skip ahead to verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names, these are the twelve on the breastplate, the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. When he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. You shall put in the breastplate of the judgment of the Urim and Thummim. And they shall be over Aaron's heart when he has gone before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. And it says it more times. A portrayal of the twelve tribes of Israel were to touch Aaron's heart physically. This is a picture of the love relationship of Yeshua and his people. Our great high priest Yeshua 
His heart touches the hearts of his chosen people. That's the bottom line of Esther. That's why God went to all the trouble of what he did. Because of his love for his people. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves us. How, how much are you worth? Somebody asks you that, you go, well, I have two, two bank accounts and a new car. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What are you worth? This is a picture of phenomenal value of what Aaron is wearing. God says, my people are of great value to me. They're precious to me. They're like precious jewels in my sight. And that picture is also prophetic. And speaking of the worship songs we had today, where do you see it again? I mean, at the last Seder, Yeshua could say, well, you know, that's old, done, now it's all finished. Uh, you know, Aaron did it way back then. No. Where do you see that again? In the book of Revelation, in heaven. That picture reappears. Okay, the stones are named again. But what's shown there is the great value they are, they represent people. They have great value. What are you? Who are you? What are you worth? God sees what you're going to be. He sees you there. God sees you as Jew, in the book of Revelation as jewels, as precious, as having great value. And in Revelation, those people whose hearts are touched by his heart are around the throne worshiping and praising and recognizing the Messiah. And the other song that we sang, as Yeshua stands up, they see the marks of the cost of their salvation. And as we say at the Seder, you know, common theology amongst churches is, well, salvation is free. We believe in you're saved by grace through faith, not by works, and salvation is free. Well, I believe you're saved by grace through faith, not by works. But salvation is not free. Salvation was really costly. It cost Yeshua's life and his blood. That's the highest price possible. But it was then because of that heart touching of love and how precious you are to him, his chosen people. Bottom line is you're worth it. You're worth it to him. You're worth it. You're of great value to him. So let's stop looking in the mirror and seeing what we are today. And let's start improving and growing and being obedient, and doing the right stuff and following his word and grow into what we can be for him. Because we can accomplish a lot. In the book of Acts, <laughs> a handful of people changed the world quickly. We can do that. Same Holy Spirit, same message. All right? We can do that. But what hinders you is personal sin. Those, those blockages, the, where the enemy has come in. Okay, sum it up. Give me two minutes. This morning we had some people praying about it. If we can only see behind the scenes. Here's behind the scene. If Joshua had killed the Amalekites, none of this would have happened. If Saul had killed Agag, none of this would have happened. So behind the scenes, you see, okay, God says something really hard. But if you don't do it, it's going to potentially wipe out a nation in the future. Do what he says. Because you don't know that part. You don't know that part. One more. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel's praying. Where is he? In Persia. He prays. Daniel, my friend, he fasts. He prays. And nothing happens. You ever had that happen to you? 
I mean, nothing happens. So I want you people in the prayer time to say, I wish we could see behind the scenes, because I'm praying enough. I believe God answers prayer. I'm praying and nothing's happening. Well, we have the little, the, the, the sky is kind of rolled back in Daniel chapter 10. And we get a glimpse of behind the scenes. Daniel's praying. And whew, the angel shows up. Man, I'm tired. Well, Daniel's kind of impressed with it. It describes this huge angel. <clears throat> the angel says, the moment you began to pray, God heard your, the moment, God heard your prayer and I was sent. You see, angels are messengers. They bring answers to prayer sometimes. He was sent. But the prince of Persia, that's a demon. Persia's Iran. He's still there. The prince of Persia held me up. And I had to battle with him for 21 days. But I got through. It held up a prayer for three weeks. That's pretty powerful stuff. But not forever. Daniel kept on praying. Daniel said, I prayed for three weeks and nothing happened. Well, he was in a fight. Behind the scenes, the angels were fighting. And later we find out that that battle and that fight is with the prince of Persia, the demonic spirit over Iran today that wants to annihilate Israel, and the archangel Michael, and it says, who stands for my people. The wording is, the guardian angel of Israel is Michael. And he's in an actual physical war against the prince of Persia as we speak. Persia and Israel in, in the spiritual realm are going like this. So when you, go, when you look behind the scenes, you go, that's why my prayer wasn't answered for three weeks. Big time spiritual warfare. How much more then do we have to be prepared and wear God's armor and intercede and have others intercede? Because if you're a messianic believer, you're prime target for spiritual attack. Because we stand for the truth and for what's right in the heart of God. And we are ambassadors of Yeshua, the Messiah. We are to represent him accurately. Satan doesn't like that. And we're to bless Israel. And we may be the only ones waving the Israeli flag in a couple of weeks, but we're going to be waving it because we're on the right side. Because Jeremiah 31, Yeshua said, as a part of the New Covenant, Jews will always exist. Israel will always exist in its land once it returns. You can count on that one. So sometimes when you hear something from the Lord that might be difficult, maybe not doing it will end up being more difficult. Two or three places God shows us the why. Trust him for all the rest. The bottom line is simply one sentence. Be obedient. Be obedient. Thank you, Lord, that you expect us to hear from you. I pray as we pray, looking for your will wouldn't be some foggy, cloudy experience, but that you would speak clearly to us. We would be open to hear. But I pray, Lord, that when we hear, we do. And not be like Saul that says, I don't want to do that. But when we hear, we do. It might be some hard things. But I pray we would do what we do because we've heard from you. I pray that would be true in our young people's lives, that as they are praying about selecting a life, uh, life's partner, that they would find that partner because they've heard from you. And they can stand on that. Not because they're the, the, the handsomest or the prettiest. God doesn't look at the outward appearance, but the heart. Well, I pray we would start looking at people's hearts instead of their outward appearance and see who they really are. And that would be so much easier to love them.
if we see like you see. Lord, give us eyes that see. May we see with our hearts. Give us ears to hear. May we hear with our hearts. May we see people as you see, of great value, as precious jewels, because you died for them and paid the price in full. May we represent you well in these end times. In Yeshua's name.